What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone. Today we begin a new series on love. Uh, now don't tune out too fast. This isn't your regular old love, everybody, kumbaya. Uh, no, I've noticed more and more that when we say we need to love somebody, we might all agree, yes, we need to love. But when it comes to how to actually love that person, we are all at odds. One person's understanding of love could be completely different from another's. One person says, they need tough love. And the other thinks love is letting people do whatever they want. Well, we're going to spend the summer exploring just what it means to love. And the basis for this is from a book by Bell Hooks, appropriately titled, All About Love. We start with a clarification. What is love? What is this thing we talk about all the time in religion, and especially here in America? We sing about it. We read books about it. We want it for our friends and families. What is love? We're going to hear our scripture today from Carol. She's going to share with us from the book of 1 John, written almost undoubtedly by the disciple John, who learned and walked with Jesus. He is writing to a community that is struggling with a number of problems. Some are scared that the Roman Empire will come and kill all those who follow Jesus because they refuse to worship the emperor. Their solution is simple but clearly wrong. They say, just deny Jesus so you can live. Others are denying that Jesus was even God. They thought he just looked like God or that the Christ spirit was on Jesus. But just for a moment before he died on the cross... These same folks believe they could not sin even if their bodies did sinful things. Hopefully that strikes you as particularly strange. But whatever is going on behind the scenes, as John writes, we are sure of one absolute fact. That the church was struggling with division. Some people had left. Some were trying to change what it means to follow Jesus. And others were doing everything they could to hold on to their faith. John tells us, whatever is going on, love one another. This is from 1 John 3, 11 through 20. Hear now the word of the Lord. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We must not be like Cain, who was from the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deals, deal, deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be astonished, brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. Whoever does not love abides in death. All who hate a brother or sister are murderers, and you know that murderers do not have eternal life abiding in them. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lie down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses to help? Little children, let us love not in word or speech, but in truth and action. And by this we will know that we are from the truth and we assure our hearts that before him, whenever our hearts condemn us, 
for God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. And from Romans 12, 9, let love be genuine, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. The word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, may we be an inclusive community, passionately following Jesus Christ. As we explore what love is, what love means, help us to move from conflict and dissension to affection and caring for others. Transform our world with the love of Jesus Christ. Amen. I had a dream a couple of weeks ago that has stuck with me. And it was someone I hadn't thought about for some time. It was a girl that I had dated when I was a teenager. Now, if you're worried for my safety, you're worried that Emily, my wife, is going to run up here and sock me in the face. I promise you I'm in no danger. I told my wife already about this dream. She knows about it. She's okay with it. So here goes. Uh, the dream was part of a memory where I was sitting in the front yard of the house I grew up in. And as I was talking to my girlfriend, I used the word love. And she turned to me and said, love, I don't even know what that means. And this really happened to me years ago. And I was having a dream where it happened all over again. And I felt the same frustration and disappointment as I did back then. When you love someone, you want them to love you back. You don't want them to imply that you don't know how to love them or don't love them well. But the more I reflect on those words, the more I realize she was totally right. It may have hurt back then, but I didn't really know what love meant either. Honestly, I'm still trying to figure it out, especially as I realize that love isn't just meant for my wife or for my kids. Love is supposed to be for everyone, even the people who hurt me, even the people who are my enemies. How the heck does that work? In the ancient Greek that was used at the time the Bible was being written, there were a bunch of different words used to describe different kinds of love. One was storge, which is affection for your family and children. Another was phileo, which is the love between friends. Eros is erotic love. Agape is selfless love. There were more, too. Ludus was casual love. Pragma was committed love. There was even a word for self-love and obsessive, addictive love. All these different words, and it becomes very easy to say, I don't even know what love means. And there's a famous book called The Road Less Traveled that has sold over 10 million copies. It encourages people to grow through discipline, love, and grace. And in it is a definition of love. Here's what the author Eric Fromm says. Love is the will to extend one's self for the purpose of nurturing one's own or another's spiritual growth. I love that definition. When we pursue spiritual growth for ourselves or for others, that is love. Now, some folks out there might quibble with the word spiritual being the key to love. If you aren't religious or you don't believe in God, what good is spiritual growth? But maybe this will help. When we think of spiritual growth, we're talking about the things that nurture us, 
the things that bring self-actualization, when I feel connected with others, when I feel the world is a good place worth saving, or I feel at peace with everyone around me, that's spiritual. That's what love does, and a lot of good can come from that mindset. For some, the easiest way to talk about love is that love is action. It's the father who jumps into the water to save his daughter without a second thought. It's the police officer who stops a victim from a crime of violence. And it's the advocate who works for a better world for everyone. I think of the song, Love is a Verb. And the only question is, did you think of John Mayer when I said that title? Or did you think of DC Talk? <laughs> Love truly is a verb. It's what we do. The problem is, when we think of love as a feeling that we have no control over, that we get into trouble. To assume that a parent loves their child makes bad parenting acceptable. To say we just fall in love without acknowledging our choice and action behind that love removes our responsibility for that relationship. Love can't just be a feeling. It can't just be something beyond our control. Otherwise, it has no real meaning or value for how we live our lives. Love has to be defined by our actions, by what we do to help ourselves or others grow spiritually. We can see this pretty clearly in our passage from 1 John. The writer says, love is the message we've been hearing about from the very beginning. Love one another. Jesus said it's the core of our faith. Love God and love your neighbor. By way of proof, John says, it was obvious Cain did not love his brother because he murdered him. In ancient times, Jews believed Cain, who killed his brother Abel, was one of the most evil beings that had ever lived. He was called the son of the devil, and that quite literally his father was either a fallen angel or the devil himself. That's because as bad as sibling rivalry may be, murder, of course, is worse. Murder short-circuits the natural maturation that happens between siblings so that they can outgrow their differences. In my house, we've been having a lot of problems with rivalry lately. When I was growing up, we would always fight over toys. So with our boys, Emily and I decided nobody would own anything in our house. Instead of the toys being one for Davy and one for Hal, if they just agree that the toys are for everyone, they have twice as many toys. Brilliant, isn't it? Except it doesn't work at all. <laughs> On birthdays and Christmas, we say you can have that one day where the toy is exclusively yours, but after that, you have to share. But it seems like every day, somebody picks up a toy, and the other one immediately wants that toy, right? So they fight. It's sibling rivalry, and I think, my boys are not kind to each other. Their actions don't show love. They show enmity. They're hostile and spiteful. That's not the kind of life that leads to eternal life. 
That's why the disciple John points in another direction and says, we ought to lay down our lives for one another. God's love implores us to help those in need. In fact, the idea here is that if we don't help those in need and they die from hunger or thirst or the cold, it is the same as us causing their death. We are responsible for them. We essentially are the murderers. I worry about my own two children figuring out how to love each other, but the writers of the Bible go so much further. We are responsible for all those we meet who are in need. Now let me just pause here to make sure you are catching the radical nature of what I'm describing. Usually we get our definition of love from the family that we grow up with, Uh, Some have it better than others, of course, but for many of us, our definition of love includes the abuse, the neglect, and the trauma of our youth. Can you think of a time when your parents or guardians screamed at you? Did they ever hit you or belittle you? I just heard about a family this week who sent their 13-year-old daughter alone to an isolated island She had only water and biscuits until she flagged down some fishermen to take her home. And I know a couple of you are thinking, hey, that's a pretty good idea for my teenager. But that, my friends, that is not love. So don't let your hateful and destructive experiences corrupt your definition of love. What many of us experienced growing up would be better described as dysfunction. Sure, we've had genuine moments of love, we felt cared for and were blessed, but that mixture of both good and bad, love and neglect, kindness and abuse, has many of us defining what love is based on what we've experienced rather than by God's word. God doesn't say we love only those who live in our house or our immediate family members. God doesn't say we love only our friends and family. God doesn't say love is just for when things are going well for us either. Love is for everyone all the time. That's God's word. Loving someone based off of this instead of our daily experiences is especially tough to do because it means we have to admit that there have been and probably still are times when we are not being loved by the people we care for the most. Nobody wants to admit that. But if we don't redefine love, we end up tolerating abuse and calling that love. This can be a real problem in the church too. Uh, whether we gather together, uh, where we gather together in Jesus' name, we sing about God's love, we commit to love one another, and then we treat each other like garbage. Often we don't even mean to do it, but our understanding of love is so skewed, we think screaming at each other is okay. We think going behind people's backs is fine. We accept as normal rivalry and animosity among people in the church. We aren't even talking about people out there who live in radically different terms. This is just us here in the church. And we can't get love right. 
But imagine for a moment a church where we really do love each other, where our goal isn't just to be outwardly nice or friendly to, uh, to others with your facial expressions, but to constantly be nurturing the spiritual growth of one another. That's what it means to love, not in word or speech, but in truth and action. Love is for every day, for every moment of our lives, furthering the growth of those around us. It's opening up a world of possibilities and dreaming of a bright future for all of us. I think of Carol giving up her home and moving with her husband to a facility because of his medical needs. That's love. I think of Kathy, who stood by her man even in the awful end stages of cancer. That's love. We have some incredible models for us here in the church, but let's, let's end with this. There was a woman who was balled up in the fetal position in the midst of a horrible withdrawal from a drug addiction. Her husband was out of the house to go and buy more drugs for the two of them. And this woman named Auburn is folding and unfolding a tiny piece of paper. On it is written a phone number that is all worn out from time and these folds over days and months. But she's thinking of calling the number. She's worried because she has a little baby boy sleeping in the room with her, and she knows that her drug addiction is going to lead to her losing her child. So she is staring at a piece of paper given to her by her mother. When her mother handed it to her, she said, this is a Christian counselor. Maybe sometime you could call this person. At two in the morning, Auburn finally dialed the number. She heard a man say hello, and she said, Hi, I got this number from my mother. Do you think maybe we could talk? He said, Yes, yes, of course. What's going on? She told him about her marriage and about her drug problem, and as she told her story, he was so gentle and kind. He said, Tell me more, and that must have been so awful for you always offering sympathy and encouragement. She was on the phone with him all night until the sun began to rise. Finally, she was feeling calmer. The panic had passed and she was okay. And that's when Auburn asked the man out of a sense of profound gratitude, I really appreciate what you've done for me tonight. How long have you been a Christian counselor? And it was a long pause. He said, Auburn, please don't hang up. I'm so afraid to tell you this. And he pauses again. You got the wrong number. I'm not a therapist, but I've really enjoyed talking with you. She didn't hang up, and she never actually got his name and never spoke with him again. But the next day, she felt like she was walking on air. She felt free. There was this completely random love at work in the universe and that it was unconditional and some of it was for her. With a changed perspective and some hard work, she was able to raise that baby boy until he graduated from Princeton University just a few years ago. That phone call changed her life 
because someone was ready and willing to offer hope and encouragement through an errant phone call at two in the morning. That church is real love. That is what truth and action looks like. We know that God loves us this way because he laid his life down for us in death on a cross. We have to be ready, as John says, to offer help to those that are in need. But the key, I think, is in seeing that love is not a sometimes thing. It is for all the time. We may find ourselves in difficult situations with our friends and family and even in the church, but love is never abuse and neglect. Let us love always and everywhere with the love that God showed for us in Jesus. Amen? Amen. For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.